Well, it's been a good morning of worship already, um, worshiping the Lord together. Today I'm going to uh, start a new series um, on the book of Philippians. So if you would like to make your way to Philippians chapter 1. Um, in this letter, uh, this is one of Paul's most personal letters to a church. Um, and by the way, um, just by way of your information, uh, we couldn't get the PowerPoint to load this morning. So I won't have that. I don't know why. We tried numerous times and could not get it to load. Um, and I don't know why. But um, So anyhow, I don't have that for you. I had it ready, but it won't load. So um, we'll just move forward. Uh, but this is a very personal letter that Paul wrote. Uh, he writes it as a friend to friends. And we can see that in the opening verse because he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Many of his other letters, if you, look, um, you, if you want to jot these down, you can check them later. Romans 1.1, 1, 1, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. A lot of these other letters to the churches, he identifies himself as an apostle. In 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1 an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Galatians 1, Paul, an apostle. And so he shows his authority to all these other churches because many of them had issues going on, but he also didn't have that personal connection like he did with the Philippians because they were so partnered together in unity and one heart and one spirit and one accord. He doesn't need to identify himself as an apostle. And oftentimes when we hear about the book of Philippians, we hear it as an epistle of joy. And it is that, but I want us to think a little bit deeper. Joy is the result of what was happening in the church. What was happening in the church was this, and I believe this is the focus of the letter, is exalting Christ for the advancement of the gospel. Exalting Christ for the advancement of the gospel. When we exalt Christ, the gospel will be advanced. When we advance the gospel, Christ will be exalted. You can say it either way. And when we exalt Christ, when we advance the gospel... There is a unity that comes to the church, and in that unity, there is a joy that comes to the church because you're all together, doing it together. And one of the reasons the Philippians had such joy is because of their support of Paul and his ministry. They supported him in what he was doing, not just with words and, and their service for the Lord, but their giving as well. They were faithfully giving financially to support Paul in his ministry. And that's why he says he thanks them down in verse 5 because of their partnership in the gospel. So that all these parts are working together. You know, it reminds me of the movie, and many of you have probably seen it. It's an older movie. It's been out for a number of years. Remember the Titans. They had a football team, but they had a problem on that football team, didn't they? And what was the problem? Race, color. 
They had African Americans and they had Caucasians. And they didn't want to play together. They didn't want to use their gifts and abilities and talents together. And so therefore they were not as powerful as they could be until, what? The two coaches came together and said, you know what? We need to get on the same team. The two coaches got on the same team and then they challenged the players to get on the same team and what happened? They won a championship because they were playing together. And that's what Paul has here. He has a championship church as it is because they are partnering together to carry out God's work. Look down in verse 20 of chapter 1. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will what? Be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, exalting Christ. Why? So the gospel is advanced. That's what it's all about. That's why we want to exalt Christ. Failure to exalt Christ and failure to advance the gospel will threaten the unity of a church. And Paul wanted to see them unified. So here we're going to see three essentials that need to be evident in the body of Christ to exalt Christ and advance the gospel. Three essentials evident in the body of Christ. This is true of any body of Christ. The first essential is this, devotion to Christ. Devotion to Christ. Notice what he says at the beginning. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. This idea of servants comes from the Greek word doulos, which means slave. Slaves were owned by their masters. They did not have a will of their own. Their will was subjected and voluntarily submitted to the will of the master. They did the work of the master. Whatever the master wanted them to do, they did. Why? Because they were the slave of that master. Paul is saying that him and Timothy are slaves of Jesus Christ. They have been owned by Jesus Christ. They have been purchased by Christ. And so here's what Paul says in Romans 1.9. God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how I constantly remember you. Notice he says God whom I serve with my whole heart. That brings a question to mind. Are we serving God with our whole heart? Are we doing it wholeheartedly? in the work that we are doing. Paul's name means little. That's what his name means, little. And Paul said he was a chief of sinners, but he was a servant. He was a slave of Christ. He's not saying, I have a little heart. He's saying, I have a big heart. And because I have a big heart, I realize how small I am and how great God is. Timothy's name means one who honors God. And Timothy certainly did that. And Paul is involved in training Timothy. In Acts chapter 16, it says, Timothy was a disciple of Lystra. His home, he had a Jewish mother who was a believer, and he had a Greek father. 
And Paul wanted Timothy to minister to a Jewish community. So what did he have Timothy do to connect with the Jewish community? He said, Timothy, you need to be circumcised. You need to be circumcised. Why? So to the Jews, Paul says, I became like a Jew that I might win the Jews. Why? Because the purpose is the exaltation of Christ and the advancement of the gospel. And that's how Paul and Timothy were going to do it, by uniting themselves with the people. I can only imagine that Timothy must have had some interesting dynamics in his family with a Jewish mother and a Greek father. He probably saw some interesting dynamics between mom and dad. And yet, his mother and grandmother had a profound impact on his life. So we see that they are servants who have a heart for ministry. They're serving God with their whole heart. Are you serving God with your whole heart? They were also servants who had a heart of humility. It tells us in Acts 16.3 that Timothy was well spoken of. His name means one who honors God. Timothy sought to honor God in all he did, even to the point of willing to be circumcised. What a heart of humility. Paul, you need me to do that? Is that going to help me connect? You're my mentor. You're training me. If that's going to help the promote the cause of the gospel and advance the gospel and exalt Christ, I'm doing it. In other words, don't do it from a legalistic perspective that this is the Jewish law and that's why you're doing it. No, you're doing it because you want to exalt Christ and advance the gospel. And so what a heart of humility. In Acts 19.22, Paul calls Timothy a helper. See, servants have freedom to go from place to place but slaves did not have the same freedom. They were owned by their master and expected to obey their master. They were purchased and possessed by Christ. Obedience to Christ was their, was their highest priority. Here's the way Paul says it in Romans six seventeen. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, but you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. In Romans 6.22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. You see, they were slaves of sin. God purchased them and possesses them and sets them free so they could be a slave of righteousness. That's what God has called us to be. Why? To exalt Christ and advance the gospel. That's what brings joy to a church. That's what brings a church together in oneness. And that was Paul's desire for the Philippians. Notice what he says if you just jump down to verse 27. Look what he tells the Philippians. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. In other words, be unified in your exaltation of Christ. Be unified in your advancement of the gospel. 
And that will bring joy to a church and energy to a church. The fruit of servanthood is Christ-likeness. So let me just ask quickly, what do you do with your time? Do you take time to be holy? Do you speak often with the Lord? Do you make friends of God's children, as the hymn reminds us to do? What about your talent? Are you using your abilities to advance the gospel? What about your treasure? Do you use your resources to advance the gospel? What about your testimony? Are you sharing your story for the advancement of the gospel? Your salvation story with believers in the church and unbelievers outside the church. Notice he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Who are these saints? These are permanent residents in Philippi. What is a saint? You say, I know I'm not a saint. Well, if we are in Christ, we are saints. We may not always act like saints, behave like saints, but we are saints. The word saint comes from a word that means holy, set apart. Remember God when he called the nation of Israel to come out and be separate from the other nations so that they would be a holy nation, a nation of saints. When they went to worship in the temple, the temple was separate from all the other places because the temple was a place that was called holy. They had a holy of holies to go into the temple. It was a holy place. Because when God sets something apart, it's holy. When God sets us apart as saints, he has purchased us, he has possessed us, we are saints. We are to be holy people. It should not be if somebody tells an off-color joke that you get a good laugh out of it. As a saint, it should grieve you. It should grieve me. Anything that would grieve the Lord. Saints are believers who are living in union with Christ and separate from the world. Their lives are aligned with Christ, they're identified with Christ, and they are known in the community as followers of Christ. Are you known, am I known? in this community as a follower of Christ? By my lifestyle? By my behavior? It should be. And notice he says saints in Christ. In Christ Jesus occurs 48 times. In Christ, 34. And in the Lord, 50 times. Saints are in Christ. And then he says to the overseers and deacons, these are the leaders in the church, these are the ones who manage, direct, and guide the church. And that's who God has called. The saints, the overseers, and the deacons to work together to exalt Christ and advance the gospel. And he goes on to say, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace was a common opening greeting of a Greek letter. And peace was how the Jews would greet one another. Shalom. They would greet one another in the Old Testament. Grace is the joy and pleasure that come from serving God 
God's favor toward us, and peace is the well-being that we have from being united with Christ. There's a close connection to another word that means peace, and it means to join or weave together in the sense that we would experience peace in all of our relationships. Personal peace, relational peace, reconciling peace. That's God's desire for the church. And that's how Paul opens this letter. So there needs to be a devotion to Christ. The second essential for a church to exalt Christ and advance the gospel, there needs to be a deep affection for the church. A deep love for the church. We see this with Paul. Look what he says in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He thanks God for them. Gratitude for the believers in Philippi. We watched Veggie Tales with our boys when they were young. And there was one that talked about a thankful heart is a happy heart. It's a joyful heart. And Paul had a joyful heart when he remembered the Philippians. He said his remembrance of them. You see, unfortunately, sometimes we forget who God has placed in our midst. I came across an interesting story of a man named Roger Zerbe. He suffered from the early onset of Alzheimer's disease. His wife, Becky, remembers a journal entry left for her after a particularly troubling bout of forgetfulness by her husband. She said, I picked up the journal on my pillow and I read, Honey, Today, fear is taking over. The day is coming when all my memories of this life we share will be gone. In fact, you and the boys will be gone from me. I will lose you even as I am surrounded by you and your love. I don't want to leave you. I want to grow old in the warmth of memories. Forgive me for leaving so slowly and painfully. Blinking back tears... This wife picked up her pen and wrote back to her husband. She said, my sweet husband, what will happen when we get to the point where you no longer know me? I will continue to go on loving you and caring for you, not because you know me or remember our life, but because I remember you. I will remember the man who proposed to me and told me he loved me, the look on his face when his children were born, the father he was, the way he loved our extended family. I'll recall his love for writing, hiking, and reading, his tears at sentimental movies, the unexpected witty remarks, and how he held my hand while he prayed. I cherish the pleasure, obligation, commitment, an opportunity to care for you because I remember you. 
With that in mind, I want us to think about Bethesda Church. Paul says he thanked God every time he remembered the Philippians. And I can only imagine as he was thinking about them, faces are going through his mind and heart. Faces go through my mind and heart as I think about Bethesda. I've been here nine plus years now. And let's think about what has God done at Bethesda in the last nine years. When I came to this church, you didn't have a youth pastor. God orchestrated events that Anthony and Rhonda came to lead our youth ministry and now tech and Christian education. That was not an accident. I remember how God orchestrated our paths to cross through um, Pastor Andy Zivanovich, and God orchestrated that. We should not forget those things. Pastor Phil left a few months after I was here, and he left a hole in the music area. We had somebody who had a passion for worship and music right in our church. And we sat down and talked with Jeremy and Lorena about Lorena coming on as a part-time worship leader. God has blessed us, has he not? Has he blessed us? Were you blessed with the music this morning? Every week, she puts that together. Has God blessed our church? When I arrived at Bethesda, the mission budget was somewhere around $100,000. Today, it's over 170000 Is that because of me? No, because I didn't give all that money. You guys did. You gave that money because you are partnering in the gospel to exalt Christ and advance the gospel. That's what God's called us to do. We had no missionary display cases when I came here. We had no missionary wall of faith. Those have been added to enhance our heart for missions for the world. We have gone on short-term mission trips. We led a group back in 2012 of 16 people to Japan to visit Tony and Marsha Haug. And several of those 16 had never been on a missions trip overseas. We had a group, uh, Pastor Anthony led a group to Thailand a few years ago of about the same number. And Several of them had never been to Thailand, and God used that. And before that, there was about 40, I think, that went to inner-city Chicago to do ministry in inner-city Chicago. We've had people do short-term trips to Uganda, Dominican Republic, Guatemala. Have we forgotten that, what God has done in this church? The only way that can happen is people serving together. 
being united together, serving. Paul says, I thank God every time I remember you. We had several years where we did Super Summer Jam and probably had over 100 people involved in Super Summer Jam, serving together in various areas to accomplish God's work. The mission is simple, it's not hard to understand, but the task is difficult. Why is the task so difficult? Satan wants to get involved with all the moving parts. There's a lot of moving parts in a church. And Satan wants to get involved in the moving parts to disrupt the mission to disrupt the exaltation of Christ, to disrupt the advancement of the gospel. We've seen that even throughout Scripture. Paul says, I wanted to come to you again and again, but Satan hindered us. He wants to hinder the work of the gospel. came across a story about a, a family. There was a loaded minivan who pulled up to a camp, the last campsite. He sees four youngsters leap from the vehicle and feverishly begin unloading the gear. Setting up their tent, the boys rush off to grab firewood while the girls and their mother begin to set up the camp stove and cooking utensils. A nearby camper watched and marveled to the children's father. Sir, that is the greatest display of teamwork I have ever seen. How do you run such a disciplined family? The father said, well, it really works on one basic principle. Nobody gets to go to the bathroom until camp is set up. <laughs> Pretty simple. They were all working off the same sheet to accomplish God's work. In the past 13 months, or thereabouts, we've had, I think, about 13 baptisms. We've had salvation testimonies. We've seen new faces in church. We've started up new ministries. Grief Share, Celebrate Recovery, SIA, Connecting Young Adults, we have seen many, many more Corinne kids coming to our Awana program. When we, when we first came here, there was maybe a handful. Now there's probably 40-plus Corinne kids in our Awana program. And many of you pick them up and bring them. And I'm grateful for it. Let's not forget that next door, there used to be a house. We purchased that house and that property for $250,000. God dropped a check in our lap from an anonymous donor for $245,000. That's incredible. Only God can do those kind of things. But it's easy to forget we have a remodeled gym. We have work done in the fellowship hall. 
God has blessed us in a big way. We have a new foyer. We've purchased new chairs. We have new screens. We have TVs in most of the rooms. That's all happened in the last nine years. We have much to be thankful for. So when I look at Paul's prayer, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's a wonderful prayer. I have thanksgiving for all that God has done at Bethesda Church. The third essential that is necessary to a partnership together in the gospel, to exalt Christ, to advance the gospel, the third essential is divine work of conversion. Divine work of conversion. Notice what he says in verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Confident in God's divine work. Now, there are commentaries who say he's really probably not talking about salvation here. He's talking about the partnership of the Philippians giving to Paul's work. I'm going to suggest maybe it could be both. <laughs> because you can't really give to God's work in the way that you should until you've been converted. So I think he is probably referring to the giving of the Philippians to Paul's work, sharing in partnership, giving. We'll get to that when we get to chapter 4. Paul talks about that. In chapter 4, verse 10, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And then he goes on to talk about how they amply supplied him their partnership in the gospel, but you don't do that prior to conversion. Conversion is essential. And he says, from the first day until now, from the day they were converted, remember back in Acts chapter 16, Paul went to Philippi, Macedonia, and what did he do? There were some ladies out there having a prayer service. He leads Lydia to Christ, seller of purple. And then he, the slave girl who followed them and was possessed with an evil spirit, he delivers her from the evil spirit. Conversion, that's where it begins. They were probably the first people who were members of the church. Lydia was probably a supporter of Paul in his work. So I would say three things about this divine work of conversion. Number one, it is an internal work. We don't see it on the outside. We see it on the inside. It's not forced or coercive or manipulative. It is born out of a personal conviction that the Spirit of God is broken into a stony heart and made the soil that hard heart fertile when that person sat under the influence of God's word. Secondly, it is an intentional work. God is at work to accomplish a specific purpose. He allows different people to go through different experiences to shape and mold them into the people 
he wants them to be. He does not do accidental work. Notice he says, he will work on them throughout their lives. He doesn't have to backpedal and say, oh, I didn't think about that. I didn't think they would respond that way. No, he knows. It's an intentional work. Thirdly, it is an increasing work. It's an increasing work. Notice what he says. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. He is not satisfied that we stay where we are. He wants us to grow in him. The Philippians had grown in the grace of giving. They had grown in their partnership with Paul, and they grow in their passion to exalt Christ and advance the gospel. God does not do half-finished work. The work that he has started in us, he will bring to completion, and that will be at the day of Christ when he calls us home. We'll finish that work. So are you a laborer in the church? Are you a builder of the body of Christ? Or are you more destructive? Are you in close-knit fellowship with other believers who can spur you on to love and good deeds? That's what he's called us to do. And by his grace, we will do that. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Let me ask you, how are you doing in your personal life, in your family life, in your church life, in exalting Christ for the purpose of advancing the gospel? Is that your passion? Are you a servant who serves with your whole heart? Where are you serving? Whom are you pouring your life into. Paul always had somebody with him. He had Timothy to pour his life into Timothy. Timothy then poured his life into others. That's what God has called us to do. Paul poured his life into the Philippians so they could exalt Christ and advance the gospel. That's what God has called us to do. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. You don't know him personally. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. Shed his blood. You could be forgiven and cleansed of your sin. Would you give your life to him? He died for you. Maybe you have a personal struggle in your life. God is there for you. He wants to help you through that struggle so that you will exalt Christ and advance the gospel. Who has God placed in your life right now that you are seeking to minister to and so that you can be Christ to them to advance the gospel? That's what it's all about. When we do that, when we exalt Christ, when we advance the gospel, There will be a unity, there will 
will be a joy comes. hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.